Hi, everyone. I'm on this journey to discover the secret source to successful corporate innovation and startup creation. I want to tear through all of the conflicting and confusing chatter that steers leaders and innovators into inertia. And I want to get to the real reasons why innovation is important and difficult. With these chats, I'm going to reveal all of the ingredients to blend to make this source with the help of my guests. And what we're looking into is innovation strategy, corporate innovation, startup and venture creation and early stage startup investments. Today I'm joined by Troy Norcross and I'm particularly excited for this chat because we've known each other for you know a good many years now and have brushed into each other on the topic of innovation and um, he's been doing a lot of work in this space for the last 15 years. I'll let him go into a, a better uh, breakdown of his experience and what he's been up to. Um, great to have you Troy. Thank you so much. Really, really great to be on the show. Great. Can you give a elaboration into your experiences? <laughs> <laughs> so we'll, we'll, we'll do this, the abridged version, but uh, yeah. it's always important for me to tell people where I started. You know, I started out on 4,000 acres of farmland in the middle of Missouri with a thousand head of beef cattle, <laughs> allergic to everything on the farm. And at 12 years old, my mom took me to the local university and I walked into a computer room. And back then it was bright lights and it was clean air because it was a dedicated computer room. And I knew 12 years old computers were my future. And it set me off on a real amazing journey. I've had great privileges to live and work all over the world. Most of my time has been spent in tech. I started off uh, riding flight simulators for military aircraft. I did high-end 3D graphics for a company called Silicon Graphics, now SGI. I went into the telecoms industry for about 10 years, and that kind of brought me to Europe and, and all the stuff that I needed to do and kind of moving in, in that particular direction. I moved to the UK and set up a data privacy company for SMS marketing back in the day. Um, and then eventually I moved to Nokia, and I was doing telecoms from the device side instead of from the infrastructure side. And since about 2007, I've been doing a completely different set of innovation and corporate strategy work kind of under my own brand, trying to help people understand different things about how do you really take and bridge the gap between business requirements and technical implementation mm -hmm. and working with startups and helping them understand how do you communicate value propositions. Mm -hmm. But for the last five years, for all of my sins, I've been specializing in blockchain. Uh, and it's been an absolutely crazy, wild ride. And so that's that's me. I'm coming an ex-farmer, come tech geek, business person, startup person, uh, jack of all trades, master of only a couple. Amazing. It's a great it's a great introduction. Um, I, I particularly am interested in the kind of hardware to what we now call the blockchain and all of this intangible uh, digital world um, that's especially interesting maybe it's natural progression um, but with the the blockchain you got into that before it became this mainstream topic right it's something that you've done a lot of work in before it's time let's say um, how is kind of what got you into becoming a an expert in blockchain right because that's what you are <laughs> <laughs> All right. So first, I've got to pull you up on the fact that I never refer to myself as an expert. I mean, my entire brand on blockchain is called Blockchain Rookies mm. because the blockchain as a technology is still evolving. It's still growing. It's still changing. We're all still learning. We're all still rookies. 
And, you know, if I want to kind of discredit myself, I can tout myself as a blockchain expert. The people who are blockchain experts know no such animal exists. Mm. Now, to your question, how the heck did I get here? <laughs> mm, a bit of dumb luck. Okay. In May of 2017, I was in Madrid at a conference called MoneyConf. Mm. I met a mad, mad woman who was there with her Argentinian business partner, and she's from Vietnam, and they needed to set up a UK company. They wanted to start a blockchain company in the UK, and could I help them set up this UK company? And I was like, well, yeah, I can help you with that, but I can't even spell a blockchain, but if all you need is a corporate structure, sure. Mm. Next thing I knew, I was CEO of a blockchain company, and we were running an ICO, running an initial coin offering. And so I went from knowing nothing straight into shark infested deep end of the pool and had to either sink or swim. Yeah. And that was where I got my, my start in blockchain. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I take back the expert, but you are <laughs> publishing um, work in, in publications like uh, City AM and, and other yeah, I, I, I had a really good run of almost two and a half years writing for City AM, a weekly, a weekly piece, mm. anywhere from 300 to 900 words. And, you know, just the turning out new ideas and having opinions and, and views and trying to convey good, simple ideas in ways that people could grasp. You know, it, it was a lot of fun. And I built some good credibility along the way within the community. Great. Um, let's kind of rewind it back slightly for, for those viewers who aren't too familiar with blockchain, including myself. If we can give an explanation of blockchain in its in its basic essence, you know, blockchain rookie style, what what would we say? Well, I think in the very simplest form, I always say, let's start with something that most business people will absolutely understand, and that is Excel, right? So if you understand Excel, you're in a relatively good position because blockchain is really nothing more than data stored in the same way that an Excel sheet is. But what do I mean by that? Well, every row in an Excel sheet is indeed equivalent to a transaction. It's got information in it. It's got a transaction ID. It's got a time and date stamp. It's got an origin address, a destination address, and a units of value transferred. And that's a transaction. If I put a bunch of those transactions together into a group, I'm going to call those a block of transactions. Now, the thing I'm going to do is I'm going to talk about protected cells in Excel. And protected cells means that you can put a password on those cells. You could still read them, but you can no longer change them. Mm. And because you can no longer change them in blockchain speak, that means it makes them immutable, which is technically evidence that's tampering, but also unchangeable. Now, I'm going to take my Excel sheet and I'm going to give it to every single one of your viewers. And now everybody has an identical copy of the exact same Excel sheet. Okay. We call that distributed. Mm. But it also means that if I decide I'm going to tamper with my own copy of the Excel sheet, or somebody else has a data corruption and their copy of the Excel sheet isn't right anymore, everybody else is going to compare ours to theirs. They're going to be in the minority and like, sorry, your Excel sheet is no longer valid. So we're not going to listen to you until you kind of get back in sync with the rest of us. Understood. The next thing I want to do is I want to add another block, another group of transactions. And in order to do that, I've got to come together, put the block into the Excel sheet, and I can then copy that change to every single person who has a copy of the Excel sheet. 
it's now distributed, but also any one of us can make the update. It's decentralized. Mm. Sometimes say, oh, well, that sounds awful like kind of Google collaborative editing. Well, no, because in that case, Google is still the central authority. We all have working access to the same central file. If it's truly distributed and truly decentralized, everybody has a copy and everybody can do the updates. Yeah, I guess it's similar to if if Google were to press delete, it's still existing, right? Whereas it's still right now- on all of ours because mm. we all have our own copy. Now, the last thing I'll say is not all blockchains are created equal. The Bitcoin blockchain is one protocol. Ethereum is another. Ethereum has something new called smart contracts, which, by the way, are neither smart nor are they contracts. Mm. They're just little pieces of code. In an Excel sheet, you might call them macros because a macro is nothing more than a little program that lives in the Excel sheet and updates the contents of the Excel sheet. Right. Smart contract is just a little piece of code that lives in the Ethereum blockchain and updates the contents of the Ethereum blockchain. Right. So in the simplified term, it's just an Excel sheet that is distributed with lots of different people that is immutable using protected cells and decentralized. One last little bit, because I'm giving you the, the extended version. <laughs> if I told you there was 7.3 terabytes worth of data in the Game of Thrones video series, would you put that into an Excel sheet? No. <laughs> no, you wouldn't, especially if you had to copy it thousands of times to thousands of other people. Mm. The point is, you could, because Excel has the ability to upload large video documents. Or if you were going to take a million ad impressions a day, are you going to put a million ad impression transactions into an Excel sheet? Mm. Well, you wouldn't, but you could. So when people start thinking about what data should live in a blockchain, mm. ask yourself the question, would I put this into an Excel sheet and copy it thousands of times? Even if I could, would I? Because if you wouldn't, it doesn't belong in a blockchain. Nice. Enlightening. Um, definitely simplified it a lot for me. I'm picking up the word transactions a lot and but lots of people will equate that to finance, right? And this is one of the biggest mainstream uh, topics is the, the crypto uh, finance transactions. But it's not just transactions in the financial sense, is it? And that's what I guess your analogy is trying to explain. I, I said an origin, a destination, and units of value transferred. Mm. And so it could be, um, you say you track and you trace transfers and transformations. Those are the kind of things that you stick into a blockchain. Mm. I want to track it. Where is it? I want to trace it. Where has it been? As I transfer it from me to you or transform it from one thing to another. Mm. And if you pull that into a food analogy, I want to know where is my orange my orange started in the fields. It went to a truck. It went to a distribution center. Mm. And I was transferring it each time. I then ran it through a great mashing, squishing machine. And now it came out as orange juice. And now I've transformed it. Mm. But it's tracking those changes or tracking those transfers, whether it's a currency or whether it's an asset, that's the real value. Mm. And people keep asking why blockchain, why blockchain, why blockchain? Why couldn't we just do this in a database? And the answer for me has always been, I need multiple distrusting parties to come together and agree on a single record of truth 
to avoid or reduce the costs of reconciliation and potentially eliminate disputes and the costs of dispute resolution. Mm. Because if we all agree this is the record of truth, there's nothing to reconcile. Mm. If we all agree that this is what happened, there's no dispute. Let's talk about the the reason why people and corporates are also seeing blockchain as just a buzzword and aren't looking into the actual big picture thinking around blockchain as you've mentioned previously in lots of your publications um there is tangible use cases for blockchain to be used in in the corporate environment so maybe there's some examples that you can give our audience on quick wins that they might be able to start looking closer to home well, so I'm going to take it from the other end and, and look at why aren't they? So one of the bigger blockchain platforms is the IBM blockchain platform. And Jason Kelly is a very well-known, respected guy in the space. And I saw him at the end of a conference in London a few years ago. And he's like, you know, I've been in every boardroom, you know, a Fortune 500 companies all over the world. I'm like, okay, cool. Uh, and why don't you have more case studies? Why don't you have more projects? Mm. And he said, that's simple. Nobody wants to go first. Right. And, and that was a really insightful sort of thing. They perceive blockchain as being hugely risky. Um, I had further conversations and I came to understand that really blockchain is about cooperating with your competition, which I call co-opetition. And in a ruthless capitalist world, there are way too many people that just do not want to do anything that benefits them if it also benefits their competitor. They only want to focus on things that they can take market share, that they can grow their business. And cooperation is just not, not very high on their list. Right. So those are the kind of things that I, I think you really have to look at. Mm. Now, cost reduction is where blockchain does far better. Cost reduction for industries works really well because if you're just looking at cutting your own costs you may as well use a database you need to be working with lots of people across an industry we talk about removing intermediaries you know removing middle people can't say middlemen anymore so middle people from from the whole situation is the kind of thing that we want to do um, and if you can find people who are sitting in the middle taking fees from both sides they are acting as a trusted third party and you can replace them with an industry blockchain and push that value back to the participants. And that's where there's real opportunity. The majority of big projects start off very small, two or three companies getting together, proving that they can do this and add value, create new business value, but starting with a mindset, we're gonna open this to the industry later on. The IBM Food Trust. The uh, Trade Lens project from Maersk all started very small, very insular, proved the point, and then branched out and, and went significantly bigger. So those are the kind of things that I think are, are, are really interesting. And it's looking for where are you spending all your time? As I said a minute ago, reconciliation and dispute resolution, those are the places to focus. Like, well, what if we all agreed to use the same set of information and we all agreed to use the same standard? That would be good for, for all of us. And why not be a leader? Why not be an innovation leader? And why don't you go first? Yeah, I think this is the, the topic which we're going to go into, which is corporate alignment, strategic innovation. Um, and, and the blockchain 
is really interesting. I think that there's probably a lot more that we can talk on that because it can get quite deep. Um, but before we do that, um, I wanted to just also pick your brain about more of your experience in the innovation space around do you really mean innovation? And that's something that we've talked about previously. The mission in a corporate to innovate is um, really important and something where even I've seen one thing said, another thing done. And sometimes that action, which the corporates partaking in, isn't matching up with what they're setting out to do in their mission. So it kind of leads to that importance of alignment in a corporate, right? So what are your kind of experiences with best practice on, on alignment, on innovation strategy? Yeah, and, and it, it does, it comes back to the question that I, I ask a lot of people when they say, we want to do some innovation or we want to be more innovative. I, I always kind of pause and I say, okay, do you really mean that? Mm. I call it about the four eyes. There's innovation, there's improvement, there's invention, and there's ideation. Mm. So I think ideation is marketing agencies sitting around on brightly colored beanbags coming up with new ideas. Right. Invention is amazing new ideas. It's the people in the white lab coats that are coming up with really, really great, amazing stuff yep. that may or may not ever have a place in the market. Mm. Then you get to improvement, which is what most people really mean when they say, well, they want to do innovation. They want to make the machine go just a little bit faster. They want to put a little more oil on the flywheel. They want to shave off a little more friction. They want to make their existing business run better and just the ever so slightly incremental kind of improvement. Mm. Innovation is taking a sledgehammer to the machine, breaking your existing machine, because if you don't, somebody else is going to. Right. Yeah. The only way you can do that effectively is getting out and talking to your customers and understanding your industry and figuring out new places to go out and explore. Mm. The second big thing is you've got to be absolutely comfortable, absolutely comfortable with learning. And I mean learning through failing. There are way too many people that are risk averse. They're, they've been bred to the, within an inch of their lives from the time that they were in school that if you take a risk and you get a B, you can never come back above your A, so I'm not going to take the risk. Failure is bad. Failure is a disaster. And so I never look at failure as a disaster so long as I learn. Mm. What did I learn? And as long as you learn something, you're right. So the first most important alignment is, do you really want to do innovation? Are you willing to accept failure as long as we are learning along the way? And are you okay with kicking and or taking a sledgehammer to your existing machine. Because if none of those are true, that's fine. Let's redefine what are the objectives of this process. Let's redefine what are the metrics? What does good look like? And then we can decide what you want to call it versus what you want to do. Yeah, I've uh, been seeing a lot of that where I love the sledgehammer uh, analogy. It's trying to disrupt yourself right that's the that's the purpose that's the aim you are looking about how to take concepts which you might see disrupting you and then doing it yourself and that sometimes can lead to um you taking market share away from your uh business as usual activities and it kind of leads to the 
reason and not to give you a loaded question, but going off mission and the whole risk averse nature, um, people do get scared of the sledgehammer and then they get pulled straight back into incremental innovation when the actual disruption is just a, a quick reach away, but that risk averse nature pushes them off course, right? Um, have you seen that uh, in recent times and any experiences? Um, I, I think people have quit too early. Yes, I, I think that's true. I worked on a couple of really big innovation projects um, and we had probably 30 different ideas that we started with. Five of them made it to small scale tests. Uh, none of them achieved any profitability. Mm. They were done in an agency because there's this whole thing about, do you do innovation inside or do you do innovation outside? If you do innovation inside, then it runs risks of being drug back into the main business. Sure. If you do it outside, then you don't have enough connection to the main business. And it always looks like a foreign object and uh, it gets killed for completely different reasons. Um, but it, the story I want to tell is after putting tens of millions of pounds into a three plus year innovation project, having zero output from it that was tangible, we were told it was one of the best successes they had had. Mm. And I, we said, okay, why? <laughs> because one of their top five objectives was great place to work. And they took all of the innovation and did PR around it like crazy and were perceived as having been an innovative company and made hiring easier. Even though they didn't actually change anything wow. to be perceived as having been innovative, helped them achieve one of their corporate top five objectives for a big global, national, uh, global multinational pharma company. Now, my question is, was that their objective going into the process? <laughs> Not their objective going into the process. Okay. They, they, they did want to be more innovative. They did want to be seen as being more innovative. They did not yet made the connection of connecting the dots to making employment easier. Mm. That was an unforeseen positive byproduct. Right. So I guess diving into that slightly deeper on the what went wrong, you know, they took a win from it, right? Which is learning taking a win. So before getting to the learning and taking the win from a fail failure of a project um, at its highest level, what do you think went wrong um, going into strategizing and implementing this innovation three-year plan? It, it, it goes back to the image that I showed you before we started recording. Yeah. yeah the ideas were all summarily killed one at a time by the three knives. And, and, and the three just, knives are called legal, regulatory, and in this case, compliance. Right. Every good idea kind of was birthed out of the teams and was going to make a real actual consumer impact and actually had a positive business model and was going along really, really great. And then legal, regulatory, and compliance came in. <laughs> so we had, we had one, one project out of the, all the bunch of them where we actually had the right legal person that instead of coming in saying, you must die, they said, if you want to live, this is what you have to do. And so I think it's really, really important to get those people that have the right attitude of success 
and finding the way through as opposed to the the answer was no what's the question yeah that's um very important my my kind of question on that would be is that nature or nurture so do you find these innovative individuals from these quite risk averse departments uh, risk um risk compliance and uh, legal let's let's call it um do you find them or can you nurture someone to be more risk taking um and when i say risk taking it's not taking a risk for no benefit oh, it's comfortable it's it's risk comfortable yeah is this control it's not risk seeking um i i think some of them are are naturally drawn to the innovation projects mm. because they know it aligns with what they want to do so there is indeed a personality trait that is is more aligned that way um the other thing you can do is you can provide executive air cover so and th this is what i mean you go into the compliance person's boss's boss yeah and you say i want you to tell them no matter what happens you're not going to get fired mm. and and that structure makes this person feel safe to push the edge to push the boundary to color outside the lines i mean they're, they're not going to invite you know blatantly break laws and such but they can they can color out the line when they know they're not going to lose their job when they know they're not going to lose a promotion mm. so you either find people who are naturally inclined that way or you find those who are capable and give them executive air cover to stretch their wings. Sure. And and when it goes, so in, in your case of, of the, your, your uh, war stories of um, legal risk and, and compliance coming out to, to hunt you down or hunt your innovations down, um, how do we get around that if we don't have access or, or or freedom to go to a senior manager and say, this person's not going to get fired if they help us out. Um, is there any kind of governance in place that you can kind of build this group of people together before going, before before hitting the challenge, right? So is there any prevention? Well, sure. The the prevention is called success. Right. And, and you, what, what I mean by that is you do an innovation project that disrupts your department. Mm. And you show that you executed it, you show that you were respectful to the corporate policies and you did everything right. And you, you can show improvement, you can show measurable impact. And then you go to the next one and then you go to the next one and then you go to the next one. And by the time you're doing something really meaningful, everybody wants to get on board. Mm -hmm. So that's a long way of saying, start small, build credibility, mm -hmm. show that failure is learning and improvement even if you didn't get the outcome you wanted. And everybody along the whole chain starts to say, wow, okay, they're doing really interesting things. And then you become a magnet. Right, right. And, and that's that's the other approach. And short of having success stories, you have to build the structure in place to get that first success. And you said starting small. Um, start so small or, or start small or get an example. Sure, sure. Find somebody else in the industry who's done something similar and saying, this is what they did. Go and have dinner with them. Take them to the pub. Pick their brains and say, okay, this was their process. These were their challenges. I can prove to you we can do the same thing. Learn from others. Okay. And I just want to bring in the blockchain aspect to, to this as it's, it's quite fitting, right? Um, generally in corporates, risk averse, let's call it. 
bringing in a, a new technology, blockchain, it could be another technology. Um, how does a corporate uh, support a new technology like that um, and, and get its get its teams around supporting that that technology which could provide benefit to the corporate so i know that you've done a lot of work with corporates and startups to do just this and and set up the um parameters to to get success right um could you elaborate in into that a little bit um so first you want to get the business absolutely nailed as to what the business is trying to achieve mm. and make sure you understand and communicate this is the incremental business value in growth or in cost savings the second thing is you want the IT department as far away as possible because the IT department understands classic centralized infrastructure and they know it really, really well. Hmm. Or, and I'll be very disparaging, and I don't mean it, but I do. There are a bunch of crypto bros who are trading crypto like crazy and are desperate to get involved in blockchain, but have no earthly idea what they're doing. <laughs> okay. so, so, so keep the IT people out. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then you wind up building the blockchain that's an industry blockchain. So you're working with other companies and you usually have a third party that builds the infrastructure. Mm. And then the IT department comes back in when you connect. So when you connect existing legacy infrastructure and systems mm. to a single source of truth on a blockchain and you need the API connections, that's when you bring IT back in good yeah it's um i've been hearing that a lot actually uh we've got keeping an, keep an it out not in the sense that they are unskilled but they only buy uh it from other corporates um follow pr process driven to a and they feel threatened by things they don't understand mm. now is there a, a world where up the value chain before the integration and migration into the corporate of, of such a new technology that IT can be brought in, in in the ideation stage? Is there a world where that exists? They, they, they can, but they, what, what's the problem we're trying to solve? And is centralized IT part of the solution? In, in most of the consulting that I do and most of the businesses that I talk to, I start off with, you don't need blockchain, convince me otherwise. Great. Yeah. As opposed to the other way, the other way around. Okay. And I think IT is really, really good at efficiency. They're good at high availability. They're really good at cybersecurity. They, they understand all of these things really, really well. Yeah. But you said we're open, we're transparent, we're collaborative, we're cooperative. And it just makes them like, it, yeah, it's, it's different language to them. No better, no worse. Just it's, it's different language to them. Right. But they need to understand the API connection. So bringing them in early, saying, you, we must connect our accounting, our ERP systems, our human resources systems into this blockchain. What do we need to do? That's, that's important. All right. No, that makes sense. So I, I, I know that we, we are limited on time, Troy. Um, it's a shame because I, I love talking to all of the guests for for as long as I can, and time runs away. Uh, there's there's a lot to uncover. Um, what what what's next really for for you after? Is blockchain going to be in your professional life for the foreseeable, or is there any other areas or um, new technologies that you're looking to investigate? Um, so so blockchain is indeed 
front and center for me for probably the next three to five years. Mm. Um, the thing that excites me the most about blockchain that is the longest shot and the most impact is called self-sovereign identity, mm. SSI. Interesting. It's my view that in under 10 years, we will have a platform globally where our identity is unique to us, managed, maintained, and owned by us. And what do I mean by that? My government has my passport. My government represents my ID, my identity, or my social security number, or national insurance number, or my, uh, my birth certificate. Those kinds of things are all kind of part of my identity. But what if my identity was supplemented with a whole series of claims? Hmm. I claim that I went to the University of Missouri Rala. I claim that I'm a resident of Portugal. And if all of those claims were digital and were verifiable at any point in time, and I owned and held and managed all of those claims, hmm. that collection of claims forms my identity. I can even have a claim that I'm over 21 that can be verified without giving you my birthday. Because information these days for a lot of companies is a liability. They need compliance, but they don't want to hold all this personally identifiable information, all this PII. GDPR scares them to death. Uh, there's the new, the new EU um, legislation, which is scaring a lot of New them. EU legislation, and then you've got the, you know, a whole bunch of different stuff that's going to come down the pike. And then you've got the banking stuff. KYC, know your customer. AML, counterterrorism funding, know your business, blah, blah, blah. All of this is identity-based. Um, you got a ring doorbell, it needs an identity. You're, you're wearing a Fitbit, you know, it needs an identity. Mm. Objects need identities. Mm. People need identities. Companies need identities. You could even have the identity of an event. When your car hit the pole, was it raining? Was it not raining? What car was it? Were you insured? Were you not insured? And the event can have an identity. And if we can manage identities in a decentralized way that's recognized in multiple countries, that's interesting. So my vision is in five to 10 years, we will have the equivalent of Visa, MasterCard, and American Express for identity. We will have global networks of infrastructure just like Visa, MasterCard, and American Express. We won't have just one. We'll have at least three. And we can choose to be members of one or more of them. Mm. And they'll be globally accepted, just like Visa, MasterCard, and American Express. And that is a power of a public blockchain or blockchains for identity that will unleash huge value. Is that social value or corporate value or commercial it's, value. It's both. If my identity is transportable with me, mm. I don't have to worry about anything. I, my identity travels with me. It'll reduce my time to open a bank account. It'll improve all kinds of flexibility across the board because everything moves more fluidly. The number of times that I have to take a, um, a utility bill to open a bank account. Yeah. We're still stuck in the 1970s. <laughs> I've I've two two last questions for you. Um, oh wow, two just, just two on that. Topic. I feel privileged. Firstly, Good. is how how far are we off it? Um, is this a is this a lot of effort needed, or is this the way the world? There are no less than, than ten different companies currently working on self sovereign identity SSI platforms. None of them has it right. Sure. Um, and so we're at least five years before somebody gets it right. Mm. And another five years fighting through cross-jurisdiction or multi-country kind of 
legislation that, to have it accepted. That was my second question, which was, <clears throat> who doesn't like this to happen? Who doesn't want this to happen? <clears throat> there are a whole lot of people in China, in India, in a number of countries that say, you know, I don't want to have my people have their identity outside of my world because mm. it makes us more global. Sure. So any, any of the people who are more nationalist are against it because they are afraid of not just capital leakage or capital flight, but human leakage and human flight. Mm. If you make the entire movement of people more liquid, not everybody wins. Right. This food for thought is exceptionally interesting. Um, it's really good to have you on here, Troy. Um, as I've mentioned to you countless times, and, and all my other guests, it's when, when the when the timer goes, it's just too too soon. Um, so it would be great to follow up with you separately. Just lastly, for the audience, how do people find you and, and what you're up to? Where can they have a look for Troy? Well, you can look me on LinkedIn, uh, Troy Norcross on LinkedIn. Um, you can find me there for sure and, and make a connection request, no problem at all. You can find me on Twitter on at Troy underscore Norcross. Um, although the website hasn't been updated in a while because I've been super busy with a very large client. Uh, BlockchainRookies.com is my blockchain consulting website. And serteam.co.uk is my other one. And just so you know, strategy is good. Execution is better. Results are best. When we work as a team is the basis for SER team. Amazing. No, great to have you on, Troy. Really great. Thank you. Thanks so much for inviting. Great chatting with you.